0: Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 268 for the 10th of May, 2018. I'm Chester Wisniewski. I'm here with my friend and colleague, Greg Iden. Welcome, Greg.
1: Hey, Chad. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, it's been a while since I've done the chat chat, so uh, don't worry, listeners. Uh, I I didn't intend to discontinue it necessarily. We've introduced some new content here at Sophos, but uh, I just did a little too much traveling, had a little too much personal things going on, and the podcast just kind of fell by the wayside. And when you're not in the habit of doing it frequently, you have a tendency to continue to make excuses to not do it. But back in the saddle, and we're here today in London, England, we had our celebration and sharing of data and information with all of our partners yesterday, and uh, it was really great seeing all of you uh, here in the UK and we've got our, our list of news to kind of kick things off I'm not going to try to make up for the last five months but we'll start out with the current news and one of the uh, uh, more d- disturbing but not surprising I guess stories is about uh, what Ars Technica is calling Drupalgeddon 2 and maybe maybe I shouldn't use the name to not <laughs> allow them to continue to name bugs but sadly it uh, looks like a ton of Drupal sites are being hacked and turned into uh, a Uh, crypto-jacking syndicates and uh, I mean what do we do about this kind of thing? We keep hearing about C- CMSs. This is the second time I think Drupal's been uh, involved in in large scale exploitation in a couple weeks. WordPress is no uh, 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 stranger to this problem. In fact, I was demonstrating a local file inclusion vulnerability at our conference yesterday uh, in a WordPress plugin, and and uh, we were talking, uh, you know, about Joomla the other night at dinner. Uh, do you have any thoughts on you know what companies can do to be better prepared for this and and you know? Do we just have to start writing, you know, like website blocking identities for Drupal?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, as we said yesterday, people don't really have much of a choice. If you don't want to go with something like Squarespace or a hosted solution, you kind of have to use uh, something open source or just some kind of hosted solution that you host yourself. And so things like Drupal, while you know, they offer loads of functionality, and most organisations that use Drupal make quite heavy modifications. They, they use a bunch of plugins, extensions, uh, maybe some in-house bespoke stuff. Maybe they just take some, play, you know, plugins from the marketplace. And while, yeah, they should ...should just be upgrading continuously. Like they, You should never be behind the moment a patch comes out. You should update. But the problem is, is that while maybe Drupal doesn't have any regression itself... ...its plugins might... And it's and I think this is what's holding a lot of people back... Why people don't just continuously update those platforms... ...the moment a patch comes out. Uh, they probably have to do a review process... ...make sure it doesn't break plugins. But yeah, I mean, just patch. I mean, this is going to be the, probably the, the recurring theme of today... Is your stuff.
0: Yeah, at least in this case, uh, people that are concerned about the cryptojacking aspect of this, looks like all this code is being loaded from vuuwd.com, so you could uh, of course blacklist that in your firewall, your web proxies, uh, that type of thing, but that I mean that's kind of a temporary band-aid, right? And yeah, I'm 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 with you on the the, you know, I don't want to break my plugin. I mean, marketing departments in particular always want to have like highly customized cool stuff that doesn't look stock, so they want to write some bespoke code to modify the WordPress or the Drupal. And then like you say, you get in these things where it's like, even if automatic is being awesome with WordPress and patching stuff super quickly and automatically, uh, or Drupal for that matter, it kind of doesn't do you any good if you've got all that bespoke stuff. So, uh, you know, I actually personally was looking at launching a, a, a blog for some some other hobbies I have. And I'm like, is there a blogging platform that can publish static pages? Can we get back to publishing static HTML rather than all this dynamic stuff? I don't know if that's re- realistic. Uh, it's probably unrealistic back to the demands that our marketing teams have. But are there advantages to maybe using cloud platforms instead?
1: I mean, of course, Let's not go into the privacy aspect of using someone else's cloud or you know someone else's machine. But yeah, with the the are the advantages that at least that responsibility of keeping something up to date and secured is in the hands of someone else. And to be fair, if it's the developers of that that CMS, probably in the most capable hands of keeping it up to date and secured, but probably better than yourself. That that is one of the merits. But I, you know, it, it comes down to you know do you know a lot of people I think load up a CMS for no real major reason. I mean, what, what you know why why do you have a ginormous PHP application, especially if you can't write PHP? Why not just write some HTML and just publish, like you said, static pages? You know, I, 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 you don't need some giant backend CMS unless you really want the comments and so on. But I think to get that information out there, I don't know. Let's go back to you know gray, you know gray background HTML. You know, I want to see like you know scrolling marquee. We can use that for some like interactivity and, and some animation, right?
0: Oh please, no blank tags. <laughs> um yeah I, I, I you know I'm just I, I I'm not worried about the privacy stuff on the cloud side when I'm thinking about something like publishing my web content because it's public content I mean it it, it clearly the the uh, driver's license database shouldn't be necessarily put up there but when we're talking about blogs which is largely what we're talking about with things like Drupal Joomla WordPress you know ah, I trust uh, I I trust automatic to run my WordPress better than I trust uh, my overworked it. guy who's also worried about the ransomware that is hit a computer in the corner I mean that's one of the challenges here too I think is that most organizations may not have security personnel and IT has so many priorities that unfortunately remembering to patch the uh, 11th blog on the server they set up for a marketing campaign is maybe not high on the priority list. So if you can outsource those things, they might get taken care of a little better. Uh, Moving along, uh, the IC3, which is the Internet Crime Reporting Center for the federal government in the U.S. and and related to the FBI, etc., released their yearly sort of cybercrime statistics. And I thought about covering it here and then I started looking at it and I realized that it's interesting. I mean, they're they're quoting uh, $1.42 billion in victim losses in 2017, an average of 800 complaints a day. And then I'm just like, really? Like 800 complaints a day for a country of 350 million people? Uh, I think this might be inaccurate. <laughs> and I'm not blaming the FBI. I mean, this is not meant to be in any way a, criticize, a criticism of the FBI or the IC3. But w- this is kind of a condemnation of the public for not reporting crimes. I mean, if I'm mugged on the street here in London, I'm not going to hesitate hesitate for a second to call the police and report that crime, aren't you kind of being mugged on the street when you get hit with ransomware or when you get hit with something that affects your ability to, to safely compute, whether that's a phishing attack or somebody stealing your banking credentials? Why are people not reporting these things to the police? Do you, do you think they don't see them as the same type of crime as when they're mugged?
1: I mean, that's that's actually really interesting because we've been looking at that kind of data in the UK, and I think I, I'm, I'm ballparking here, but some of the units in the UK police forces have found that we've got, so it's I think it's called action fraud, I've been looking at this kind of data over here, and it's about... of all crime is now cybercrime and fraud in the UK. And again, so we got that similar stat that's showing that A, there's a ton of this, you know, ton of cybercrime taking place. It's a real big deal but who, you know, I, I can't remember the, the time, like when I got a that, what, was it, what was that uh, malware years ago that used to sort of change your cursor into like a dancing person. That kind of, I don't I don't ever think that I would want to phone up and say, oh this is you know, so this is a quite highly visual attack i have got to phone up the police and say, oh someone's changed my mouse cursor without me, you know, they me get my permission. So there's that side, there's the kind of in-your-face malware and ransomware's one of those. And again, most people that might get ransomware, yeah, I mean, the the kind of people that are stung by it, that don't have defenses and so on, are probably the kind of people that, yeah, don't even realize what's happened and wouldn't know what to do. Would you call the police?
0: Yeah, I I think clearly we're not encouraging people to dial the emergency number, whether that's 911 or 999 or 000, whatever country you're in, you may have different numbers to call. We're not saying like, oh my God, panic, the way you might if you were mugged. But on the other hand, that's the point of the IC3 in the US. The idea is you can report online crimes. You're reporting them. You're not really expecting a, a, a officer or a constable to show up at your door and take a report you're digitally filing a report and i guess what we want people to understand is the importance of this data collection to modern policing we cannot fund cybercrime investigators if we don't understand the size of the problem uh, here in the uk you can't go to parliament and ask for a billion pounds to work on this problem if we don't know the scale and size of that problem and the impact on the citizenry and the same is true in canada and the us and everywhere else around the world we need uh, digital cops and we we, we can't fund our digital cops if we don't understand this, the, the size of the problem we're facing. So we really need to encourage, I think, you know, especially people that might listen to this podcast know a lot more about this. And, and your businesses might be hesitant to report sometimes for worried about their shareholders or the embarrassment of, of, of an attack. But I don't know why you, I'm not embarrassed when I get mugged. It's not my fault. You just don't forget that you're a victim, whether you're an individual victim or whether you're a corporate victim, you are a victim. And not reporting the crime is actually letting the criminal get away with twice as much, right? They're not only stealing from you or causing you harm, they're causing greater harm to society. And we really need to understand these problems so that we can work together on solutions. Actually,
1: I actually had some interesting advice given to me from uh, uh, one of the guys working, I think it was one of the P- Welsh police forces, and said that... Okay, yes, you, you know, calling up the police every single day and saying, yeah, we've had another ransomware attack, yeah, we've just had another phishing attack isn't really going to fly. No one wants to have that kind of being inundated with so many sort of statements saying, you know, oh, we've had this crime take place. And you're right, no one's going to come around and do a big investigation, but we still need to get the stats to the, you know, to the to the sort of, uh, our, our kind of services. So uh, what the advice uh, Welsh Police Force said is just do a roundup, maybe every couple of months, just keep track of everything and then let them know. You know, you are doing a service uh, to just let them know, hey, okay, we've had 400-odd uh, fa- phishing emails from these, you know, these, from these domains or these email addresses. And, you know, providing that information just helps people get an idea of how wide scale this kind of problem is. And as you said, that's how we get funding. You know, if we're seeing like, you know, it's only like 8,000, I forgot the stat, you got the stats in front of you, but. 800 a day. 800 a day. We know it's way bigger than that. And okay, they're not going to be able to do anything about it. We're probably looking at maybe five years, even maybe longer before we've got police forces that are trained to be able to tackle this kind of problem. But if we're going to give them those stats, given our, you know, our, our monthly or quarterly or even you know, half, you know, year, half stats and, and information on our investigations, we're going to help our local police forces get, get those task forces set up and, and, and funded.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and 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 clearly for major incidents, you should be calling the police anyway, because you need to do a full investigation, especially when uh, private data has been compromised and all that kind of stuff. But we're talking about the minor stuff, right? The the bots and the ransomware and, you know, the the everyday uh, garden variety. I mean, there's so much electronic crime happening. We actually have to like start putting them in buckets of importance because uh, we're all being impacted by uh, all different layers of this. Without going into too much detail and picking off... On Oracle, which is a hobby of mine, they had their quarterly patch update uh, uh, recently. And by the way, if anybody from Oracle is listening, quarterly is not frequently enough when you have to put like 400 patches in one update. But there's one that's been seriously being exploited in uh, Oracle WebLogic. And without going into the details of it, if you're interested, you can look up CVE 2018-2628. Especially if you're if you're running a WebLogic server and you haven't patched, you're probably already compromised based on the information that's out there. There's there's automated bots going after sites and exploiting them. But the interesting and scary part this time was it was reversed and being attacked within about three hours of the patch update coming out from Oracle. I mean, that is a frighteningly low time to be able to, low amount of time to give you to be able to patch. Is this something, I mean, you and I presented yesterday at our event on kind of how exploits are developed and demonstrated exploitation techniques. And I mean, being that you can take publicly published information from CVEs, from vendors, look at source code, if it's open source, or even if it's closed source, look at the patch and see what's being modified. Do we really have any time anymore? I mean, when I first started reporting on this stuff more than 10 years ago, it was an average of 45 to 90 days before we saw uh, exploits happen. Even in the case of WannaCry, when when the Eternal Blue exploit was made public, it was almost a month before WannaCry after the Microsoft patch, which clearly still wasn't enough considering how many victims were out there, but uh, a lot of organizations were patched, right? Like it, w- WannaCry could have been far worse had it been three hours instead of three weeks. Thoughts? Well, I
1: mean, given we got 14,500-odd uh, CVEs raised last year alone, there's a lot more people that are looking into, uh, you know, looking into exploitation and looking into vulnerabilities and, and that kind of research. That's on the good side, and there's a ton of bad guys out there, and this kind of notion that, oh, well, this, you know, there's a patch out, now I've got seven days to patch it, is in many cases nonsense because, of course, your bad guy hasn't hasn't had to wait for that patch to come out to find that vulnerability and start exploiting it. They've could've, they have could have had months, years run up, I mean, with the likes of the uh, vulnerabilities dumped uh, by Shadowbrokers, you know, of NSA exploits. These will be in the use for years. These are all very, very, very old vulnerabilities that were going back into old versions of Windows. So this kind of notion that you should you know, oh okay, well this has come out, let's look at this, you know, the uh, the CVSS core score on my CV, is it a high how should I prioritize this? Oh okay it's a high, well then we need to patch it within seven days it's like, no, you need to patch it yesterday you know, the security patches should be applied straight away, you shouldn't wait I can understand if there's a software update which is changing like a big num or like, you know, like a, a you know, a small number, it's not like a, you know, maybe a new functionality, new features, then yeah, you might need to go through testing. But for security patches, they're really, you know, there should be a very low likelihood that it's going to compromise or the integrity of your applications or cause your service to crash or whatever. And I would say you've got a bigger risk from being exploited these days now for not patching than that if you patch, it's going to have some kind of negative impact on your business.
0: Yeah, that's certainly been my opinion as, as well as going, right, so you're not patching, which means you're almost guaranteed to be hacked and have a much bigger incident, whether that's data loss, whether that's now with GDPR coming, maybe a reportable incident to the information commissioner versus the risk of patching which is like a 1 in th- 1,000 chance it might go wrong. So you've got like a, a 1 in 2 chance you'll be hacked if you don't, and you have a 1 in 1,000 chance that the patch might crash your server. Like the, the the math just doesn't make sense to wait. But we also know that organizations uh, are pretty risk-averse for these things. So in the meantime, I mean, we have to try to come up maybe with some advice or strategies. I mean, one of the things that I, I make sure I do for all my personal systems is I take an inventory uh, every quarter of what I have that's internet-facing, which which programs are listening on my servers in the cloud and on the server at my house, and I sign up for the security notification list for each open source project or each vendor. Well, you know, I use ESXi from VMware to run my virtual machines in in my home network. And so I sign up to the the VMware security bulletin notifications. So at least I know about them right away and I can't use the excuse that, gee, I didn't even know they released a patch. I know a lot of uh, uh, corporate customers of ours uh, have the ability to publish, you know, Yara rules on their network. So the policy might still be the seven days. And I agree with you, seven days is probably too long. I mean, Duck and I have talked about this on the podcast for years going we used to argue that you know try to get down to 30 days and then we try to convince people to get down to 14 days and then we try to convince them to get to seven and I think you and I are now pretty much saying the new the the new term zero day should be about how long it takes you to patch rather than about the uh, about the exploit but you know there are other other strategies as well I mean I think you know knowing is half the battle like get those security notification mailing lists signed up to your security people Um, maybe look at things like the rules are there some other things people can do
1: so yeah you can always try and mitigate as as much as you can through yeah like a web application firewall, if it's a website or a web server, you can use IPS, you know, uh, engines inside sort of, uh, you know, gateways and so on. I mean, when it comes to patching, it, it's it's almost always a policy problem, you know, it's it's either higher up, there's just been a policy where, well, we don't, you know, we don't make system changes, we have change freezes for uh, X amount of days and, and actually, I, I see always the biggest risk is these change freezes. I, 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 I think we should, this is something we should probably look into the stats for, but that change freeze happens in so many businesses over that winter period, right, where they go, right, coming up to the holidays, everyone's going to be with Their families change freeze uh, freezes in now we're not going to do any patching. We're not going to do any changes to systems until the end of the change freeze. I mean, how I I would love to see is that a known thing? Are they we going to see a ton of uh, exploitation taking place over that period because they know people aren't patching? That'd be an interesting one to look into because I mean we see with like spam that uh, attackers you know modify their campaigns and so on based on the time of year. We see far more uh, like FedEx uh, you know phishing emails saying oh you've got a parcel that's been delivered but you know please you know please you know but we need to you weren't in, so we need to redeliver it to you or something.
0: Yeah, I, I actually, I think we've already seen that. I mean, we certainly saw that in the Target attack, where you know they hit during the holiday period, during the ch- uh, the, the code freeze, the the uh, ch- change freeze, whatever you want to call it, as a strategy. We saw that with the attack against Sony Pictures, uh, that was allegedly from North Korea, being over the Christmas period when they were again, you know, holiday weekend kind of thing. All the staff is off, you know, get the maximum amount of time. And and of course, we saw uh, LulzSec uh, attack one of the executives at HP Gary during the Super Bowl. So sort of that tactic again and knowing that people might have some downtime. So I think that's already happening. I want to wrap up with something slightly amusing to me. Uh, um, my apologies to any listeners who may think that crypto mining is something cool because I, I, I we will never agree. But nonetheless, uh, interesting story out of uh, Washington state in the United States, just south of where I live in Vancouver in uh, Shalane County. Uh, they have pretty plentiful and cheap hydropower there. So it's been very attractive to many crypto mining operations to move there for the power. And they they've kind of been a victim of their own success to some degree. They've got so many illegal crypting I didn't know there was such a thing as illegal crypto mining operations, but I guess when it gets to this scale, it really is. I mean the the, the one one resident who was uh shut had his power shut and was arrested was using eleven thousand kilowatt hours of power in his apartment and they decided to shut him down because it was a risk of catching the building on fire when the the wiring was rated for 500 kilowatt hours of usage um i mean is crypto mining getting out of control are these people insane you were defending it a minute ago and i i want to hear your opinions uh, craig <laughs>
1: Okay, I mean, I, I'm not really interested in cryptocurrencies. I'm interested in smart contracts. But let's let's not digress onto that because uh, we still disagree on a lot of this. But when it when it comes to this whole crypto mining thing, I mean, a it's 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 this huge speculative fad, I think everyone's like, oh my god, there's this money to be made. I can mine money with a computer, and yeah, everyone's kind of making a mad dash to, to do it. But the, the the fact is that the amount of power it consumes is pretty much it, it, uh, okay. Maybe not in these states, but it it's completely uh you know uh sh- overshadows the actual value that you know the money you make. Out of it, and for anyone that's like already, I mean, we saw how it just completely dropped. It's 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 uh, cryptocurrency is not something that's going to stick around for long. The underlying technology will, but the actual idea of mining currency, I mean, uh, unless it's backed by a by a government or you know, you you need some kind of nation with a military force to to, to you know to to, to keep that uh, currency va- with any kind of value. So the one thing I find interesting when it comes to these people setting up these huge farms to mine cryptocurrency is that the, the kind of the electricity and all this kind of stuff they're using. I mean, see see in the UK our police forces fly around with these helicopters with thermal cameras looking out for people that are growing drugs you know growing like marijuana or something because of all the power usage and the heat it's generating but now I wonder if they're going around flying trying to hunt down like people mining cryptocurrency and like like I just think it's bizarre that it's like for a much cheaper amount of electricity you could probably make some more profit not that I'm condoning going to grow marijuana but I just think that's a, a bizarre situation that we're in
0: well most of our listeners in the United States can legally grow their marijuana now and <laughs> we will be able to in Canada pretty soon as well so you know it's become a little less controversial. I won't, I won't suggest people in the UK do that because it's very, very naughty, but you know, I'm just trying to figure out what do you, what do we do about this? Right. They're talking about imposing a $5,000 fine in, in residential areas and seven to $10,000 fine in commercial areas. And I'm going, right. If I'm mining cryptocurrency as if that's going to deter me when uh, a Bitcoin is worth $7,500, like this is an interesting challenge. Like telling me I can't consume something like as simple as electricity and not really know, boy, what a mess. All of you crypto people are are nasty, nasty, nasty people. You should stay stop doing it. It's very, very naughty. And on that note, I'll conclude Sophos Security Chat Chat 268. As always, all of our podcasts are available at podcast.sofos.com on SoundCloud, and anywhere else you find fine podcasts. For all the latest news, please visit nakedsecurity.sofos.com. And until next time, stay secure.